1: Hello and welcome to Future Imperfect, I'm Admiral Phillips, and in this episode of the podcast I'll be talking about the mid-season finale of Star Trek Discovery, Season 1, Episode 9, Into the Forest We Go. So, I'm also going to talk, uh, because this is the last episode of the season until... January seventh, Sunday, January seventh. Um, I I'm gonna get into my thoughts on the road so far, and my thoughts of the future. Uh, I'm also planning on because the the well of consistent Star Trek episodes will have dried up. I'm going to go back to some more topical uh, interface. On this podcast, and hopefully, I'm going to. I, I, I'm really hoping I can get Birdman Dot on here so that we can do kind of a breakdown of the season so far, um, because I, I I want his perspective, being that uh, for the most part we took this journey on on Future and Perfect together uh, up to a certain point, and then um, with the debut of the show, I, I just felt like it was time to bring the podcast back. So I, I'm, I'm kind of curious what you guys think on the episode. And you can leave your feedback either at uh, feedback at AlteredGeek.com or you can leave it uh, on Twitter at AlteredGeek or at Future Warped uh, or myself at SCP-21. Uh, and just kind of give me your thoughts on, on what's... what's kind of stood out to you so far this season whether you're a naysayer or a uh all hands down fanatic of the show uh you can't deny that a lot of the characterizations have gotten better some of the crew of the discovery are better i still massively hate everything about the klingons i i think that that's the biggest foobar in the entire series so far uh, however, they have partially wrapped this storyline up, uh, and uh, just getting into this episode, we 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 kind of go through the the whole process of we we begin with the the Povins, Uh Basically sending a, a signal for the Klingons and the Discovery to meet at that coordinates. And Starfleet, uh, the Vulcan Admiral, uh, decides that Discovery needs to double back to Starfleet. And essentially, Lorca pulls a Captain Picard and Captain Kirk disobeying order. Uh, in that, he tells the Admiral what he wants to hear and says, yep, we'll... Uh, will warp back to the starbase, and so uh, their plan is to come up with a solution to save the Povins and to uh, get the cloaking information from the the sarcophagus ship, the Ship of the Dead, and uh, it was kind of an interesting moment there because... Uh, it also showed, you know, that instance, Lorca was pretty consistent with following directives based on his opinion and also uh, following uh, directives according to his own war effort. Um, and I, I thought that it was kind of interesting in that regard. And then we kind of go a little bit further and and you see... The crew interacting, finding a way to do it. And Lorca tells. This is the part that gets a little sketchy in the writing. Is Lorca actually acts like he cares to Stamets. And Stamets, earlier in the season, says Lorca doesn't care about anybody as long as he gets his goals achieved. And it's like the two of them completely forgot their personas in this episode. In, in that regard. And uh, Stamets has his guard down and Lorca more or less says, you know, we're going to make 130 some you know, instantaneous jumps, you know, are you going to be able to handle it? And I need you to handle it. And Stamets is like, eh, I don't know. I I, I can't. And, and Lorca pulls up this star chart, uh, map to kind of show him, uh, all of this information from from coordinates of places they've previously jumped and, and ropes them in with that information and then says that, you know, after this, you know, we can go back to exploring and, and all this other information. It sounds great. Which could be partially Lorca using him, but partially true. But it, at the same time, it doesn't strike with his persona of being this laser-focused uh, individual for the war effort. Um, so... It was it was really different to see, uh, j- especially because how Lorca was totally you know kind of indifferent with the space whale thing during uh, his uh, the Harry Mudd episode and, and kind of was like yeah yeah just get it taken care of. Uh, he was totally opposite in this, but I think it's also because he really wanted to go after the sarcophagus ship and and get that cloaking technology and the the frequency. And then so we kind of go into it and Stamets goes into the, uh, the chamber, takes off his jacket and he's wearing what resembles uh, a blue medical t-shirt from the original series in a sense. A little bit shinier and without the black collar, but it very much resembles that. And then we get Special Agent Burnham and Ash Tyler going over to the Klingon ship and discovering that uh, Admiral Cornwell is is alive. Uh, They also come face-to-face with Ash Tyler's captor, who he didn't seem to have a hard time getting away from in the episode with Lorca and Harry Mudd uh, on the previous Klingon prison ship. But this time he has this PTSD syndrome that just attacks him spontaneously here. Uh, and then, uh, Cornwell is unable to, to move. And then finally Tyler snaps out of it. Uh, it, it was just, it was really strange. And then you get the, the whole situation with Burnham going to the bridge and fighting Cole And, uh, um almost getting killed, but just kind of tidying him off long enough until she jumps off and and being back to the uh, the discovery along with Tyler and uh, Cornwall uh, and the the Klingon that that was working on Ash Tyler, which the whole scene that they show at the end of the episode pertaining to that situation I could have done without. I didn't need to see a uh, gangly xenomorphing looking, Klingon on, jumping on Ash Tyler and uh, having sex with him at the end of the episode. I was perfectly good not seeing that. Uh, uh, it was just disturbing in, in all other aspects, like they they could have just left it at that. But it it was almost like a rape scene or something. Like it it was just not not something i felt should have been in the episode or or needed to be there they they could have just left it at the torture aspect uh it still it still kind of leads me to believe that it could still be that klingon guy that uh was the albino klingon at the beginning of the season because he still disappeared and uh they could have altered his memory enough and altered his his physique so that he resembles a human. Being that they had uh, Giorgio with them for a while, so they they could still be standing for the second half. But uh, they have her locked up for uh, the end of the episode, and then uh, Cornwall is going to a F- Federation Starbase and. Lorca asks Stamets to jump, and, Lur- and Stamets tells him, I will do it one more time. That's it. One more, and I'm done. He says, I, I need doctor's help. And so they go to do the, the final jump on the Discovery after destroying the uh, sarcophagus ship completely, uh, which was glorious of them just hopping around it and uh, firing all torpedoes and watching Call get obliterated. Uh, so this Klingon chapter's partially over. Uh, it still doesn't explain how they evolved either to this or after this, uh, which I'm hoping season two does. Uh, and then we go to uh, them doing the final the final jump, and Stamets goes unconscious, and he comes back, and his eyes are glazed over. Uh, and his pupils, there's no color in them, so he's... Like been stricken blind, but he can see the entire uh, star system. So they're basically stuck where they get teleported, but where the starbase should be, there's no starbase. It's all debris. Uh, Which leads me to believe that they're in the mirror universe. Uh, Being that Lorca originally shows that, uh, that thing to Stamets earlier with the stellar cartography type of thing with the uh the various multiverse timeline space jumps, all, all of that information that's kind of intertwined in space uh, and and I think too because I saw and, and this was kind of intriguing as well, I saw on Twitter someone had uh, done the most amazing thing with with one of the the screenshots and I didn't catch this. Uh, when I was looking, uh, the the interesting part was I did see all the debris and everything, and the discovery sitting where the starbase should be, and um, that that was my first thought because there were the, all the alarms are going off, and there's no um, there's no rhyme or reason to where they're located. Their star charts aren't right. Nothing's showing up correctly. So uh, obviously, you kind of know that they're either beyond their expanse of where they should be or they're in the mirror universe uh, however if you look at uh, the navigation control on Lorca's uh, keypad on his his chair uh, you see spore jumps all listed on there and it's got it starts off with spore jump 117 through 132. And it's got different locations to jump around, mark this, mark that, blah, 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 blah. And then it says Spore Jump 133, and it says Override Lorca G, and it says Location Unknown. So he overrode a, a location, a Star Chart location, either A, to purposely go to the Mirror Universe, or B to uh, it, to actually go to the starbase and it doesn't know where it's at, so it says unknown. I'm leaning towards he purposely took them to the Mirror Universe because um, I think that he could have earlier on been from the Mirror Universe and, and using that weapon that they insinuate about with Kirk where uh, they can eject somebody to another multiverse... Uh, as a form of, of imprisonment uh, to basically eject them from their own reality. I think Lorca could be one of those, and that's why he has the Gorn Bones, and that's why he has uh, a Tribble, and why he has all these things that haven't been discovered yet. Uh, however, I think that there's the possibility that this could actually be in the Mirror Universe. This whole series and that they're actually coming to the regular universe at this point. So there there's there's the possibility that it could be that or the opposite. Um, but I did find that interesting that they had the the thing with Lorca overriding it uh, and somebody tagged that on Twitter and I thought that was kind of interesting. Um So there's that and then uh, there's there's a lot of different thoughts on on this episode. And and what I mean is Uh, when you look at the New York Times, they believe that this is the, uh, most sloppily written, uh, episode. And it says that one of the issues with the maiden voyage of Discovery is that the show doesn't appear to understand what motivates its characters as a result. Uh, we don't understand what motivates them. That's not a problem that is unique to this iteration of Star Trek. Voyager and Enterprise also struggled with this early on, nor is it an issue limited to this television franchise. Um... But in the case of Discovery, it has certainly led to sloppy writing. This week's episode, the mid-season finale, felt like it was ignoring the previous eight episodes and all their characters' work. Uh, which I did feel that in a lot of regards of of how they handled some of the characters, they just they they didn't feel they felt foreign to their personas, and that was a little bit a little bit odd. I just just the way that they were handling their their how they how they were through the episodes, uh, it didn't. i i I couldn't see it leading up to how their their reactions to things and how they how they were speaking in this episode being the way it was and then um it it just yeah i i was a little bit weirded by that too and that was even before reading this i i had that kind of thought but it it makes sense now that i'm seeing it um and then you know and then they again say the thing about the laser focus of of lorica and then the uh um, uh, then there's the whole aspect of, uh, you know, Lorca barely giving a crap when Cornwell ex- unexpectedly appears on his ship, uh, even though he was the one that allowed her to go and not rescue her. Um, and then Lorca's protectiveness of Burnham on, on the dangerous away mission. And yet, uh, you know, he's let her go on everything else up until this point, and then he's like, "No, no, no, no." And then finally, she talks him into it. Um, there I don't know. There's just a lot of weird, a lot of weird writing going on in that. Um, and then the whole sensors to get the Klingon to cloak. Um, uh, yeah, it was it was a little bit different, but I could kind of understand that a little bit more because they they didn't really understand why they had to transport over to place the sensors, which I kind of get because. Even in the 24th century, uh, doing that, you had to have the frequency. Like it, it wasn't something you could just easily find. You could tell something was there, but you couldn't tell what. Um, and then even in the 23rd century, when Star Trek VI happened, the firing when cloaked thing, which there was only the one ship that did that, and uh, they, they had an ion gas torpedo, which would hone in on the ion gas coming from the cloaked Klingon vessel. So, uh, the, the plasma and, and whatnot. So, I mean, I, I kind of get it there. Uh, and, and they kind of make this this stupid comment about how the Klingons seem incompetent that they don't realize two humans beamed over. Well, they had this little Iron Man-looking orb on their chest that gave them the... And, and I saw the picture of it prior to the episode, and I'm like, okay, what's this? Uh, but listening to the episode, had they actually done this... Uh, would have seen that they said it gives them the life sign of a Klingon instead of a human, so they had to be wearing it, which is why they only detected one human life sign, which was in the, uh, in that chamber where the, the dead were basically left, uh, which is where Cornwall was. So, yeah, it was, it, and it was funny when Lorca basically slapped the Admiral in the face with, yeah, we took down, you know, this whole thing and, um, uh, with with the whole uh, battle going on and and they were told to do something and he did the opposite and his unorthodox method which is something Kirk was famous for uh, is what essentially took it down um, they had the universal translator which was pretty cool and then the battle was pretty decent for the ship um, however the uh the, they they've basically made the Starfleet ships look weak throughout this series which is something I've had a problem with. and then the, the, the rel and, and call I didn't really care for the uh, cloaking field um, uh, seems to be something that you know, this this is something else where the New York Times is just full of it they're like why do the Borg appear on Enterprise well did you watch Star Trek first contact they everything's kind of connected in a weird way. And in First Contact, some of the Borg vessel was destroyed back in Zephram Cochrane's time, uh, which was 50 or 60 or, or so years before, maybe even 100 years before Archer, uh, which was still 100 years before Kirk. And the, the whole thing was, is the Enterprise E-crew was there during First Contact, and uh, the borg were destroyed although some of their vessel crashed into the arctic which they were pretty close to and uh, so they were dormant so that's that's why the borg were were in enterprise i, I don't i don't understand who writes some of these things because it, uh, like i'm not the uh, like the most hugely versed person in in, in no Every detail of Star Trek. However, this person that wrote this article and has been writing the things on Star Trek on on New York Times just doesn't seem to have a clue, which kind of bothers me with it. Like I'm a little uh, peeved on certain elements, and some of their things they do have a point, but uh, they don't. They, they they don't really seem like they have their their head on straight. Uh, then there's. Lorel, which Tyler may end up changing, um, they, they show flashbacks of torture and and dashing into physical appearance issues. I still think that it's Valk, and and that they that's why there's such a connection with Laurel and that's why he sees you know them getting down dirty at the the end is. Possibly because, and that's probably why Lorel doesn't um, kill him, is because he's actually Klingon, I think. But I, I don't know. I, I think that they're they're gonna kind of play around with that as as the season progresses. But uh, I, I definitely think that we're gonna see the mirror universe in the latter half of the season, which starts in January. I, I'm kind of enjoying it for what it is. It's not. By far the strongest track, but none of them are really that strong when you put them up to it. Uh, the original films are possibly stronger, like the the even films. And then the um, uh, TNG films, you pretty much had the first two and then the, the last two were kind of... <clears throat> um, but overall, overall, this half of the season hasn't been that bad. As is, is anticipated, I still like I said the Klingon thing, and then some of the Abramsy like high techness irritates me still. But overall, I give it a pass, uh, just based on what they've they've managed to do with it. Um, I, I'm I, I am wondering what's going to happen to Stamets now that he's got the physical handicap and he can no longer do the uh, sport drive, uh, and how they get back from the Mirror Universe will be interesting because nobody's uh, nobody is uh, supposed to know about the Mirror Universe per se until Kirk because it's the first documented evidence of the Mirror Universe. So, again, I, I don't really know what to think about that whole situation yet, but I guess we'll have to wait till the second half of the season. I do hope they they wrap up how the Klingons ended up looking as goofy as they look and then how they go back to looking like the TOS and the TNG look later, uh, which is what they looked like prior. So uh, I, I guess that remains to be seen. I'm I'm a little curious on on some of the the uniform thing because I was doing a, a little bit of a, a digging into the Starfleet uniforms, and I I was I was a little bit. Um, I was a little bit uh, disturbed to discover that the uh, uniforms that Starfleet's using right now in um, Discovery, which are all the basically the Enterprise insignia, which wasn't adopted until after Kirk uh, had the Enterprise, uh, because each ship was supposed to have their own combat insignia, no matter the uniform difference. Uh, so. I'm a little confused at what they're doing with that. Uh but their uniforms are actually uh being used concurrently with the same uniforms that are that Captain Pike is using aboard the USS Enterprise. And it's that that kind of like polo sweatshirt material with the uh ruffled collar and uh they have their 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 rank on their sleeves, which the rank on the sleeves thing they keep pulling back to periodically. like you'll see that reappear and disappear consistently with the solid bands or the uh, variations thereof uh, throughout all of Star Trek because uh, when they're not using the pips, they use that. Um, so that's that's kind of interesting there. But I did find it weird that they're using two different uniform styles at this point in time. Uh, which makes me wonder if uh, they're going to uh, now. Their away mission jackets have the the bluish looking uh, material, but they don't they don't have all of this yet. So I I don't know. I am kind of confused how the the uniforms play out um, in, in terms of of discovery and and how everything's kind of put in there. I did like I said a, a graphic with. And I'll put this in the episode post. Uh, I, I, I charted them from the 2150s all the way through the 2800s uh, just because I wanted to see where each uniform was placed. Uh, so I have the Enterprise. I have the um, I have the one from Star Trek Beyond that took place in like 10 years after Enterprise. Uh, I have the 2230s, which I, I know that I'm taking some from the Kelvin universe there, from those first two there. Uh, but it kind of makes sense that there's a progression somewhere in there. Uh, so I have the, the captain of the uh, USS Kelvin uh, listed for the 2230s. Then there's the 2240s, which is uh, Lorca's uh, brood's uniform. Uh, and, and then you have Captain Pike's at the same time uh, during that, and which kind of transitions into Kirk's time. Uh, through the 2250s and 60s, and then there's another slight evolution from the 2260s to the 70s, and then uh, you get the motion picture in the 70s to 78, 78 to 2350s, you have the Khan uh, the uniform. Uh, and then 2350 through 66, you have the, the first TNG season one uniform, which changes to a, again to the colored one, uh, which changes to the uh, the one from Voyager, and then the, the latter half of DS9 and Star Trek films. Uh, and then you get the 2380s through 2409, which is the Sierra uniform, uh, which is in Star Trek Online. And it doesn't really place... Uh, kind of 2404, you get kind of the um, uh, All Good Things uniform, which they kind of show in the end of Voyager as well. Um. So I, I'm not really sure where that's placed. And then the 2410 through whatever is the Odyssey uniform. and then the 2800s is the, the one from the relativity episode. So I, I'm kind of I'm kind of a little bit well versed in the uniforms now at this point, which uh, I didn't expect. but I don't know, what do you guys think on on this episode? What do you think on the season so far? What are your thoughts on where they appeared? Uh and uh where where do you think that uh, the season's going to go as it as it goes on and uh in 2018 and through to season 2. So leave me your comments there. And so uh I've been Admiral Phillips on this episode of Future Imperfect. I hope you enjoyed this and until next time, live long and prosper.
0: Space. The Final Frontier.